Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Sean Hayes. Sean is running for New York State Attorney General. The election is in November of 2022. Very fascinating guy is Sean Hayes. Really enjoyed chatting with him today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please, first and foremost, send me some health insurance referrals. I'm actually licensed in the state of New York. So anyone who needs help with health insurance, in particular Medicare help. So someone's going on to Medicare, they're turning 65 soon, and there's a lot of uncertainty that goes into that. Send them my way. I'd be more than happy to help them out. I'm an independent broker. But the details for the sponsors of The Kelly Patrick Show are as follows. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare-eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. We're going to head to the Louisville Combat Academy Roadcaster line where I am now joined by Sean Hayes from up in New York. Sean, how are you today? Awesome. Thank you for having me on. Um, I've I've seen some of your your shows or yeah, you know, what do we say these days? Is it seen or is it actually only heard? Because I saw you when I was online and, and I saw your, you know, guests and, and stuff. And you had some interesting people on. And I saw you had on, um, looks like a couple of months ago, you you had on a very good uh, friend of mine, uh, Larry Sharp. Oh, wow. Yeah. How great is Larry Sharp? He's great. And that's, he's the main reason why I'm actually, actually doing this. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running for uh, attorney general and, and why is he called me up one day and he said, why don't you run for attorney general? So, um, I said, please, please give me a couple of days to think about this. I actually ran for something else previously. I didn't plan to do anything this year. And I called him up about three hours later and I says, okay, I'll do it because you asked me. And, uh, yeah, he's a great guy. He's really, um, I, I'm actually a Democrat registered Democrat. I ran in a democratic primary previously. Uh, I think the democratic party has moved from where I am. I'm really a, a John F. Kennedy type, type, type Democrat in that type of uh, sphere as, as a pragmatic problem solver. That's the type of politician I actually like. And the democratic party has moved, uh, far from that. So, um, I feel, and I think there's a lot of other people that feel that the actual Democratic Party is leaving us, and we need to look elsewhere. Now, if you look to the Republican Party for this city, at least, um, they're 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 a disorganized mess, and um, they have no solutions. They're they're just angry, 
and I don't think we're, we're going to see much change coming from within that group. Um, so when, when, when he called me, when Larry Sharp called me, I said, it's interesting, libertarians, I, I, I generally have a, a libertarian type viewpoint. Uh, I wouldn't say I, I was uh, in the mold of a traditional libertarian, but um, definitely the libertarian party it is a, is, um, is a vent for people that are angry at the Democratic Party and the Republican Party for, for, for not trying to solve a problem. So I think that this is a, a fantastic outlet for people like that. Sean, if we could back up a little bit. Did you grow sure, up in sure, New sorry, sorry, no, no. That, And that's okay. Perfectly fine. I'm having you on, of course, because you are running for the New York Attorney General um, position. Um, but w- did you grow up in New York? Where are you from? Uh, I assume you're an attorney. Yeah. You went to law school. What do you do for a living? All that fun stuff. Where? Who is Sean Hayes before ever running for any office? So... Um yeah, I'm, I'm from Ozone Park. I was I, I I was I was brought up in Ozone Park. That's that's a part of Queens. Uh, my uh, family moved around. We we moved from from that area, and we we ended up going to Fairfield, Connecticut area, West Haven, New Haven, Connecticut area, which is a suburb. Um, so I, I was I was brought up uh, in the city and also in the uh, suburbs, and that's an interesting uh, thing here. If if you come to New York, the people in the city and near the city, very near to the city, are often different than the people in the suburbs. So I saw both sides of that. Um, and I was a stockbroker prior to my uh, job now, lawyer. Um, and I was sent overseas. So I, I, I was sent uh, from a New York a stockbroking company, private equity firm actually, sent me to Hong Kong. And from Hong Kong, I went to... Um, South Korea on a private equity deal. This was, this was back in 1997, 1998. Uh, and I saw Asia and I said, wow, the, the growth in Asia, this is really interesting. What's going on in Asia, the, the, the passion of the people, you know, and, and the, the hunger, the fundamental hunger to, to, to do business. And it was exciting to me. You know, I was a very young man at that time. I always wanted to go to a law school. This was just a transition job, right? It was a job that I was going to do for some period of time just to, to get my feet wet and doing more than being a paper boy or, you know, or, or a factory job I had. Right. So I, I wanted to, to do something, um, a white collar like job. Cause I haven't had the opportunity to have a white collar job, um, before law school. So, I did that for two years as a stockbroker, and then I went back to law school, and I, I had I, I had that passion. I had that passion to do something different. So um, I, I worked at a big law firm here first, in the uh, city first, and then I got the opportunity to go overseas, and I went overseas and, and worked for uh, a South Korean court, their actual highest court um, in South Korea, and I'm the only foreigner ever to do that in South Korea, and uh, that was interesting. I, I was um, full time at this court for three years. It's their 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 highest court. It's called the Constitutional Court. It's a court that only deals with constitutional issues. They also have a Supreme Court, which is their highest appeals court. But that court, in in short, doesn't deal with constitutional issues. So it's a specialized court just to deal with these these issues. From there, I was also a faculty member. I uh, taught law at Santa Clara University. Um, I also taught at Seoul, Seoul University, which is uh, the most famous South Korean school. And I think everyone would say that would be the best school in South Korea. And I taught at a, at a variety of other universities, too. I taught for the University for Peace, which is a UN-delegated university. And I did a bunch of other things at that at that time too, when I was in South Korea. So I was in South Korea for 20 years between South Korea and Hong Kong for 20 years. I just came back two years ago during the uh, pandemic. Um, and when I came back during the pandemic, my mother didn't want to see me right because of the pandemic. She was so fearful of what was going on. Um, and I didn't have any, my, my friends here anymore. They all moved to the suburbs. They all moved somewhere else. So I started, I started walking around the uh, city looking for someone to uh, talk to. 
And if you understand the uh, city during the pandemic, when everything's locked down, the only people on the uh, street were, were the homeless and the uh, police. So I talked to both of them. So I went around and I didn't have much to do, you know, <laughs> just getting back. I want to see my city again. I, I understand that I, I am moving back here, right? I'm opening an office here, doing a whole bunch of things at that time. So I started to talk to people. I talked to homeless people and, and uh, I'm the type to talk to everyone. And uh, I talked to homeless people and I asked them, why aren't you living in the shelter? What are you doing living on the street? You, you, you have a bed. Was, uh, so many people said, I can't go to the shelter. The shelter has drug addicts in it and it has mentally ill people. I don't fit in there. It's a dangerous place. And I said, oh, what, what's going on here? And I, I learned about the shelter systems and the problems with the shelter systems, how we've spent more money on homelessness and actuality, the homeless population is going up, that these charities running shelters and also government has no motivation to get people out of the homeless shelters. And then I started to dig. I started to dig more. I started to look into more things, uh, um, think about issues during the pandemic. And I, w I started to go out talking to homeless people and also policemen um, with a purpose. I started asking questions to actually learn. One guy uh, said to me, I, it, it, was, it was kind of interesting, a homeless man, he goes, you know, I have a social worker, never asks me questions. Just checks off a box. I'm okay, right? Everything's okay. You can see he just checks off a box. And he goes, we, we need people like you. You know, we, we need people. And it was the, 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 the mayor race was ongoing. And um, he said, why don't you run for mayor? I said, well, it doesn't make any sense. You know, who, who knows? Nobody. He goes, just, just do it. This guy said, just do it. Go, go run for mayor. I, I ended up running for city council because mayors are totally different ball game when you're starting late. Um, and then the following day, friends I haven't talked to for years, three of them called and says, why don't you run for mayor? You used to be involved in politics earlier. You're back now. I see you're on social media again. Why don't you run for mayor? So that whole thing, that experience in the pandemic really changed my mind and, and my focus. I've done really well in law. I, I taught, uh, I'm the head now of an international law firm with offices all over Asia. Um, and I did well, and I think it's my time to, to think a little differently. So that's where I'm at right now. And Kelly, you're, you're the first person that I've uh, told this full story to. <laughs> Very cool. Um, wow. A lot of questions come from that. Started out as a Democrat. You say a, a JFK style Democrat. Can you elaborate as to what you mean when you describe your, your political leanings like that? You know, I, I have, I never neatly fit into a party, right? There's two parties. This is what everyone believes. There's two parties, right? These two parties are the only parties that can actually win. We can talk about that afterwards, this whole mentality of that. But, you know, I, I worked for Republicans previously, right? I, I actually, I, I worked in the U.S. Senate uh, and I worked for Republicans at that time. Um, and I found from the inside of what was going on, right? And it's, I was disgruntled in that and I was disgruntled in the Republicans seemingly not having answers for the cities. The cities are more complicated. This this city that we're in is incredibly complicated um, place with the best of everything and the worst of everything, right? So when when this happens, it, you know the the Republicans don't have answers for the uh, the city problems, such as homelessness, and you know their 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 answer is generally people need to get up on their own feet and do for themselves. But how about if they don't? What do we do? What do we do? You know so. That's a problem. If we don't do something, that's a problem for us all, right? So they don't think that way. They think fiercely independent. I can understand that, that sentiment and that mentality. And generally I have that, but being pragmatic, it's just not going to work for everyone, right? The government is needed for, for some people, but we need an accountable government and a government will, that will help to get those people off the social program. So, the Republicans don't have 
talk like this. They, they talk principally that everyone needs to, you know, and, and it's a problem for the city. Um, it's just the Republican party for the city is, is a party that that's never ruled. They have no experience winning. They have no experience, uh, making laws. So you can understand why. And the Democrats, I think if, if you look back to a John F. Kennedy, a John F. Kennedy cut taxes. John F. Kennedy believed in a small, efficient government. John F. Kennedy also believed in equal rights. Um, doesn't that sound like a Republican? It does, yeah, certainly. That's, yes. that's the question. You know, so John F. Kennedy was, you know, if, if you looked at presidents that cut taxes, John F. Kennedy... Ronald Reagan, uh, um, Clinton, they cut taxes. You got two of them are Democrats, right? So I think this party attitude that we have so locked into, and I was locked into it too, right? I mean, all of us got locked into it and this mentality that what, what are the, you know, are we going to waste our vote? You know, we're going to vote for one of these third parties and waste their vote. I think, for a city, at least, I don't know about politics outside of the uh, New York State. With this, I haven't really thought about it. But um, for the city specifically, the Democratic Party for the city council, the Democratic Party owns the, the uh, city council. I believe now there's only three seats that are Republican seats, right? So I thought the way I can make change is I run as a Democrat. Right? Am I really a Democrat or am I really a Republican? I don't know. You know, John F. Kennedy is the epitome of what I believe as um, there were some problems with his foreign policy. But anyways, he was what I believe as, as a pragmatic realist, right? He's someone that, that comes forward and, and, and tries to solve problems. And, and that's why I always mention John F. Kennedy. I think Ronald Reagan in some cases did, did that too. Eisenhower uh, was at a time of transition in, in the United States where where he um, um, really brought a concept that the civil works projects that he was involved in stuff, we all need to get together and the, that the states need to join stronger to build the, the infrastructure that, that he was so, so proud of and, and, and also fight government becoming too big. He even talked about the military industrial complex. So they, we, we had a lot of guys like this, that they're, they're traditional small government efficient government guys. But do you think we have them on either party anymore? You think the Republican party is a small government party? You think the democratic party is, is the party that's, that's fighting the government for truth and honesty. And, you know, I mean, that, we, we, it's changed. There's so, um, where I, where, where I'm at with this is, is that I'm lost. Where, where do I go? Where is that John F. Kennedy pragmatism? I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see it with anyone. I, I see parties that are trying to, to lump people into categories and sell them on uh, sell low information voters. Sorry to use that word and sell them on, on, on a bag of fish hooks. Right. And just trap them in that vote and know if they do trap them in an ideology, they're breed fear or hate or whatever. And you can keep their vote and keep power. So I just think of the parties these, these days as it's, it's like, it's like religious cults, you know, they're, they're, and it's even worse than a religious cult because they're also teaching you to, to, to hate the other side. Uh, I know some great Democrats. I know some great Republicans, you know, I went to a Republican meeting last night and one guy asked, it was a great question. He goes, if you're elected to Congress, who would be the first Democrat that you would speak to? Who would, who would you want to go to lunch to with? And the candidate says, I will never go to lunch with a Democrat. I'm here to fight the Democrat. What are you, what are you talking about? What's, what's the point of that? That's what we have now. We have two parties that are just fighting, cannot agree on anything, nothing. I bet if you got together and you said, listen, we're all going to go out to eat. Here's your three choices. Would you vote? The Democratic Party would vote for one 
restaurant and all the Republicans would vote for the other one. And if there's a Republican that's a vegan, he will still go to the steakhouse if the Republicans vote for the steakhouse. This is not the intent that we, we had this polarization in the, in the parties and the, the party loyalty and all this stuff. It's all just a bunch of bullshit. Okay. Sorry for rambling on, Kelly. No, that's what I'm looking for. Great stuff. Um, uh, I've got multiple questions coming to me as, as you're speaking. Are you bilingual? Uh, yes, I can speak. I can, I can speak Korean, broken English and English. Three languages. So interesting. So I'm joking. I'm joking. But, Kelly. but so. Korean though, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I can speak Korean. I can speak a little Chinese, but it's actually very, very little, uh, even though I spent quite a lot of time in China, but my home base was Korea. So yeah, I was in, uh, you know, in Korea for 20 years. I, I studied law in Korea too. I, I, um, studied, studied, studied Korean constitutional law at Seoul university, which is thought of as their best university. I gave speeches all throughout Asia on Korean constitutional law, U.S. constitutional law. Um, I gave speeches to North Koreans even on uh, economic liberties. Uh, I was sponsored for that by a, a German foundation. Um, how, how did you do that? Yeah. What can you tell me about that? How did you give speeches to North Koreans? How did that come about? Because, of course, that's so, you know... So seemingly such a polar opposite, South Korea versus North Korea. Did you go to North Korea? I was there three times. I, I was I was teaching at a, a university there called Kim Il Sung University. That's the founder of the uh, state, and it was sponsored by a German foundation. So these German foundations, Germany has, as a Western country, Germany has the most contacts with with North Korea because of the East German embassy that they had there. So, right. They had a large embassy, East German embassy. Most of their, their tech knowledge, engineering knowledge and such came from East Germany. Um, so the German government now has a, has the old East German embassy there. So they still got a lot of contacts from their East German day. So they, they have a lot of foundations in there, um, that are doing good things, trying to, to, to educate, North Koreans on uh, the value of freedom. It's not working, but um, I did, this was a long time ago that this was done prior to the sanctions on North Korea. Uh, so I went three times and um, the first time I gave speeches on general contract law principles and an understanding of the value of a contract. And, and I realized at that time, this is not hopeful. We're, we're, we're not starting at, it, at anywhere close to an equal, equal level. Um, and the understanding, the, the, the style of schooling that they have there, they've missed so much. And you can, you can see that we're so far off from being able to, to breed even over time or over a, a, a appeasement or, dialogue, um, any sense of, um, the value of freedom. The biggest difference is it's not a communist country. It's a dictatorship. It's a kingdom. Actually, it's an extension of, uh, the old Korean kingdom that they had Chosun dynasty prior to prior to liberation from the Japanese. So, um, they, they have a king in there. Their, their king is, uh, is the form of a, of, of a god. And to break that is, is something that's, that's very difficult, right? You're, and, and it's still being taught in school. The, the family is, is a, a form of a god. The ideology, Jute ideology, is like their, their Bible. And um, how do you break that? So when you have someone ask you, um, private contract. You're, you're talking about a contract between A and B and the government's not involved in it, right? So if I have a contract with you to come on this show, uh, we have a contract. You say, uh, Sean, give me $500 to be on the show. You're, 
and I give you $500 and now I can be on the, uh, the uh, show or the other way around. You pay me $500. Be on. I'm not asking you to pay me, Kelly. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the government have to do with that? Nothing, right? Okay, there's some law somewhere that says that we need to honor contracts, right? And that law would also give an enforcement mechanism if, if we don't honor this contract. But everything else, the government's not involved. That's our freedom of contract. If that is legal for us to have this exchange, there's no violation of law, it's a legal contract, right? Now, I'm explaining this in even more simple ways than this because it, it was difficult. And the concept is, well, why isn't the government involved? Why would you need the private contract? Why doesn't the government do that? So everything is top down, right? Someone's going to tell them what to do. So they're thinking this contract would be, you would go to the government, right? You would be working for a station that's owned by the government, right? And if the government wants to pay me, okay, they pay me. You're just an employee of the government. You, you don't have your own business. You don't, you know, this, the concept's not even there. Um, the interesting thing is, is I went out, um, as I said, I like talking to people. So I, I went out to, you know, with my minder, uh, I, I went out and, um, had some talks with very casually some females selling goods on the street. That was their, their first major, um, wave of people opening up their own business. It's like fruit vendors and stuff that are doing their own business, right? And this is older woman only. They get it. They get the concept of a private contract, right? But it's not only at that level. You're, you're not going to get it from anyone like, like opening up an independent shop there or tourist agency or something like that. It's not coming. So there's no entrepreneurship in the country. There, There's just everyone working for the government and, and, and hopes for the good graces of the government. You mentioned, what was it? Juche. Is that mean self-sufficient that North Korea doesn't need anyone else? Is that what they kind of live by? Yeah. So Juche, it's actually a book written by Kim Il-sun. It's, it's the name of his book. Uh, Juche something, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the, the independence of the motherlanders something like that. And the concept is they, they, it's a bunch of things, but it, you know, it's, it's a Confucian type ideology where you, where you honor the King and the King should take care of you. But, but also a big, big part of it is we need to be independent, right? We're independent of all foreign countries and actuality, North Korea is not independent, right? They, they rely on their power from China. They rely on most of their food from China and foreign aid. Most of the foreign aid comes from South Korea and the U.S., Japan, because we want to keep that country uh, solvent so we don't have the problems with China. It was interesting. Trump did, I think Trump's foreign policy with North Korea was completely correct. Trump was the first president that openly says, we do not want North Korea to collapse. He openly said that, right? Now, China, a couple of days later, had a foreign minister say, we do not want North Korea to collapse. And they said, why? They said, we do not want the U.S. troops at the Yalu River. That's the river dividing North Korea and China. So they didn't want the U.S. troops there. So if North Korea collapsed, the thought is maybe the South Korean military would go into there um, and then... South Korean military, U.S. military work together very closely. There's a lot of U.S. troops in South Korea. And the second thing they said, if North Korea collapses, the refugees are going to go north. That is true. So they're going to go into China. They didn't want to deal with the 30 million, 30 million refugees. So that changed the whole dynamics. You're talking about two sides that are being honest, right? And South Korea, um, you won't hear this so openly from South Korean people. But South Korean people do not want North Korea to collapse because if North Korea collapses, it's going to be a huge burden on them. And they increasingly understood that North Koreans will have a difficult time competing in South Korea. So 
North Korean refugees that go through China and then they, they, they find a Korean embassy in Thailand or something. They come to South Korea and generally get very basic jobs. They, they, they can work at like a restaurant or something like that. They, 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 they can't, they can't move on from, from, from those jobs. It's very difficult. Even if they were teachers in North Korea or, or government officials or something, just, uh, it's too far apart. Some people say, well, West Germany, East Germany integrated, right? Yeah, that, that's true. But East Germany was not a poor country. East Germany was, um, a wealthy, had a wealthy population. It had a very educated population, had a good school system, great engineering. And um, vastly different. North Korea has nothing. It's 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 relying almost entirely on on foreign aid and, and selling some basic minerals like coal and 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 such. Wow, I was not expecting it to go in that direction. But very fascinating, uh, you know, that you can speak Korean and you spent twenty years in that part of Asia or different parts of Asia. Very fascinating. Sean, what I like to do here on the Kelly Patrick show is obviously I like to reach out to people across the country who are running for office specifically as a libertarian. For some reason that intrigues me. You mentioned I, I recently had on Larry Sharp. I love the guy. I'm a big fan. I saw a tweet and it included some people running for different offices in New York. Your name was listed there. So I reached out to you. Of course, you are running for New York Attorney General. What can you tell me about that race? Is there a favorite? Um, who, you know, who, who's, who are your opponents? Tish James is really my, my uh, opponent. She's a, she's a Democrat. She ran for a short period of time for governor. And she's definitely not so interested in uh, being an attorney general. She's interested in being a politician. So she's a very political, politicized uh, uh, attorney general. Um, and she's interested in some other office. I'm really interested in being an attorney general, right? Not a politician. I'm actually embarrassed when people say, oh, you're getting into politics now. You're, you're, you're a politician no, 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 I'm not, I'm not a politician. Don't, don't, don't say a dirty word like that to me, Kelly. Do not call me a politician, Kelly. Okay. No dirty languages on this show. I'm joking, but, um, she wants to be a politician, right? So I think the attorney general job should not be someone who, um, wants to be a politician. That, that should be a non-political office. It should be an office that looks at um, and in, in, investigates the areas that we have the most problems. And the problems that we have is there's a cushy relationship with charities and the government, and some of it is corruption. No one's digging. They, they, they have groups that uh, are formed within the uh, attorney general's office to dig, but they're not going to dig deep because they know the Democratic Party is supported by the charities. There's also a cushy relationship with real estate companies. Some real estate companies do fantastically well. Others don't. If you're connected, you, you will do well. And, and that's the nature of business that we have here. That needs to be broken. We need to get back to the time where people said, wow, I can do well in this city. I can do it from nothing. The general attitude of most people now is the big guy gets everything and the small guy gets the crumbs, right? And a lot of that is true. I don't believe it's 100% true. I think you, you, they are, there are a lot of opportunities in this city. Uh, but that's a feeling and it's a feeling because we have a lot of corruption in government and no one doing anything about it. So the first thing I'm going to do is have people on these teams and the attorney general's office has all these teams to investigate corruption. And I will have people on the teams that are bulldogs like me that will be going after people, will be looking, will be understanding, will be learning where the corruption comes from. We'll look into uh, city council members that have line items for charities in their areas and what's the relationship between them and the charities. So the, the other opponent I have is Michael Henry. He's a Republican. Now, he has no chance to gain any votes from any Democrats. Zero chance. So if Michael Henry really cares about 
getting Tish James out of the office, he would resign as a Republican. That's what he would do. Now, if I ran as a Republican, I cannot get a Democrat vote. You can't get it. It makes, you know, in some case, you know, it's just thought the Republican Party is anti-big city. And I can see in, in this state, they don't have answers. And when I went around for my last date and talked to people, there was a lot of talk. Oh, are you a Democrat, Republican? I'm Democrat. Oh, thank you. You're a Republican. They're, they're evil. We're going to have people even say that they're evil. And some Republicans are evil. Some, some are not. But th- that's the attitude. So he knows that. And he, he understands that he has no chance to win. The only way to, be, to beat Tish James would be from a independent candidate that can pull Democrat votes and would pull most of the Republican votes or all the Republican votes. So I advise Michael Henry, if, if he really wants to beat Tish James, he would endorse me. And the likelihood of that happening is probably a slim to none because Michael Henry is doing this for more than just, just winning. I don't need this job. This job is going to be something that would take a lot of money out of my pocket a lot of more gray hair in my hair. I actually dye my hair, but I have a lot more gray hair. <laughs> Sean, no problem. Sean, as you were saying, you do dye your hair. How long have you been dyeing your hair? <laughs> so yeah, um, a couple of oh, by okay, I'm, I won't lie, I won't lie. About six years now. So I'm 48 <laughs> years old, and um, I used to go in South Korea. I used to go to the beauty salon and have it dyed, but. But, but now I just do it in the bathtub. I, I get uh, head and sh- um, men's, what, what is it called? Uh, I forgot the brand, but it's, it's, a, it's a big men's brand. You just shampoo it right in. It's really good. It's starting to grow out right now. Okay. <laughs> now, I, I appreciate the transparency from a, even if you don't want to call yourself a politician, I'd say transparency is a good thing. So I appreciate that. So Kelly, if I can ask you something, you, you got a heck of a name here. Kelly Patrick Ryan Dugan. Yes. So you are Irish, correct? Yes, I, I am. My, my, my full name, my legal name is Ryan Kelly Dugan. Ryan Kelly Dugan. Yes. And, my, and where's the Patrick? My from? confirmation name into the Catholic religion was Patrick. I'm Catholic too. So my confirmation name is is Anthony. My father's name is Patrick huh. and I got it. Some family member that's named Ryan. So wow. Yeah. You, you got Kelly. I, it's not so common these days, but that's a more of a, and I think an older Irish name, Kelly, I, you don't, don't hear that too, too often these days, but Kelly's a cool name. I have on my Dugan side of the family. So my father's side, um, our family comes from Yonkers, New York. Okay. Okay, yeah, that was a big Irish area, Yonkers. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you know where your family is from, from from Ireland? Did you ever visit in Ireland or had the opportunity? I have not. My father has been. Um, but when I do the Ancestry.com and all that stuff, it, it looks like it's from Southern Ireland. And I think also I've read Munster and um, some different areas. But no, I have not yet been to Ireland. Have you? Yes, I even went to school there for one year. My father's from Ireland. Um, so he's, he, he's, uh, John F. Kennedy Irish, as we were talking about earlier, he came over on the, um, the Irish visa. There was a special Irish, uh, a visa just for, for Irish people because of John F. Kennedy. So he actually gave the opportunity for Irish to come over. So my, 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 my father took advantage of that, of that visa. And my father said when he was getting off the plane that time, the visa rule said you, you have to have a hundred dollars in your, in your pocket. You need to have access to a hundred dollars. So, so at that time, you know, bank accounts and stuff weren't so common. So you would have that on you. Um, so he didn't have a hundred dollars. So he said he was very worried. They, they, they paid for the plane ticket. It took him over one year to raise the money for the plane ticket. And, uh, he was very worried that the, the immigration officer was going to ask them for the hundred dollars. Wow. Very interesting. Um, since you mentioned it, so my name is Ryan Dugan. About 11 years ago, I met a gentleman in Louisville who owned a local sports radio station. Coincidentally, his name is first name Dugan, last name Ryan. 
And I was like, oh shit, I've always wanted to do a sports radio show. I was already podcasting on my own. And at that time, he offered me a weekend sports radio show. He was hosting a show on his station also. And I made the decision at that point to say, this is going to get confusing. We got Ryan Dugan. We got Dugan Ryan. So I started to go by my middle name. I say, I have a family member cousins that are Ryan's Cormac Ryan he's he's in the city right now from Ireland Ryan is a is is a quite a um common last name I believe from Tipperary area I think there's a lot of Ryan's in the Tipperary area interesting you know um on my so Ryan comes from my mother's side so I've got Irish mm-hmm. on both sides but my mother's side you gotta visit you have to visit it's wonderful it's it's really a wonderful trip and everyone will will ask you, how long are you home for? It's such a sweet thing, you know? How long are you home for? And if you ever visit, go uh, visit my uncle. My, my uncle, um, all my family's still there. You know, my, you know, grandmother died there. She never came to the States. My, but grandfather died there, and, and he never came to the, uh, the uh, States. My father is the only one that actually left for the States, up until my cousin, who was like 40-year-old cousin, right? He's... Uh, He's the only other one that, that came to the States. So everyone's over there. You can visit my uncle. He's in a beautiful town called Freshford, County Kil- Kil- uh, Kenny. And my father's boss uh, actually went to the house. This, this must have been like 20 years ago. My uh, father worked at a power company. Went to the house and says, uh, I'm Pat's boss. Uh, can I stay with you? And from that time forward, he was... My father's boss at that time, he, 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 was, he was a real pip, an interesting character. And um, from that time, my, my uncle has welcomed so many people into the house. He had all kinds of visitors from the United States. And what that actually leads to is him meeting so many people from the States. He had, he's staying at their houses, you know? That's the Irish way. You, you, you go on a trip, you're not going to a hotel. Which house am I staying at? You know, <laughs> Irish are great travelers. Wow, very interesting. I, I with my Zoom uh, credentials, it did show my full name listed there, and I, I think that's a fascinating uh, direction, certainly to take it in. Your father's actually, though, like you said, from Ireland, so I think you've got quite a bit uh, closer connections to to Ireland than I do. Um, they're all very, very interesting stuff. I must say, you are a, a very fascinating individual. You said you don't have aspirations beyond attorney general within the world of politics. Why is that? Why is that such an important position to you? Well, I like the focus, right? So um, what I'm doing now is I'm focusing on two different things, right? Number one, this uh, attorney general race and getting out the message that that we have. Um, And number two, I have a startup center that I'm very proud of. So I, I, I definitely not a radical liberal who believes that people who go to prison are going to prison because of faults in the government. I believe in accountability. My last campaign, every single campaign worker were people that uh, were homeless. So they they were people that were living in homeless shelters. And 100% of them served time in in prisons. one person I'll speak about, he was in prison for 32 years for a very serious crime. And I saw the, these, these people, if you want to say, I saw these people and I said, wow, you know, I know I can get them to be productive members of society. I know I can do this. These were motivated, these were motivated people. These were hardworking people. Um, okay. They, they did some terrible crimes, um, but what are we going to do? And realistically, uh, the best that will happen is they will be on public service for the rest of their, their lives. They'll be in government housing for the rest of their lives. They'll be on public uh, assistance for the rest of their lives. And they'll have some job like on the side selling T-shirts on the, uh, the streets. That's really the best. There's a slight people of other people that, 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 that do, do fantastic things, but it's so rare. And in actuality, that best case 
Most people do, are not falling into that best case. The recidivist rate is very high for people under 45. After 45, it's, it's um, quite low. But before 45, it's quite high. Um, why is this happening? Now, you get someone who is in prison for 32 years. Isn't that an opportunity to actually reform someone, right? Reform. And there's a lot of ways to reform. Prison should not be pleasant. I'm not saying it, it, it should be a great place to be, a place that you want to go to. Of course not. But we should have programs in prison uh, to get people to become entrepreneurs, be successful members of, of society, learn to live on their own. But in actuality, we don't have that. We, most of the programs now are mental health type programs, social work type programs, um, and they're not effective, right? So sure, some people need that social worker. Some people have mental illness people, but th this man who was in prison for 32 years was hungry. He was hungry to do something special. There's nothing for someone like that. When you get out of prison, what you get is $40 and a bus ticket. I'm serious. You get out of prison, they give you a paper ID without even a picture on it. They put you on a bus, the bus brings you to the shelter, you get 40 bucks and you get that bus ticket to the shelter. Now, if you don't have family, think about this, you don't have family, what do you do? Now they got you going through all these social, social worker programs and, and, and such, you, you got a, a parole officer, you got, you got all this support system, but none of them are telling you, well, listen, there's there's some jobs you can do. Why don't we, why don't we talk about building your skills so you're able to do these jobs? Now, there are some agencies doing that with jobs, but it's not for the superstars. It's for the regular people. It's jobs like working in a grocery store. It's jobs like being a truck driver. But you've got a large group of people that could be entrepreneurs. They have skills, especially drug dealers. So most of the people in jail are in jail linked to some drug. So the drug dealers, especially if you're, you're a high up, higher up drug dealer, you organize the team, you organize the distribution network, you organize marketing, you actually know the stuff about a small business. And what's gonna happen if you don't show them that they, they have a way outside of that? They're obviously gonna go back to that successful business, right? And we obviously don't want them to go back to that successful business. Um, so that's when I thought I can help. I'm good at starting businesses. I've helped a lot of people start businesses in Asia. So, um, I started four different businesses up to this point. The one I'm most proud of, and that is being launched on June one, uh, is Ply Agility. You can find it at plyagility.com, P-L-I-A-G-I-L-I-T-Y.com. That's a combination of the word pliable and agile. And I think that's the two most important things in physical fitness uh, and staying in shape and not getting injury, injured. So a pliable muscle and an agile muscle. So this is a franchise, it's a fitness franchise, and we're uh, training now, I believe it's 22 physical trainers. Most of them have served time in prison. And um, we have a fantastic app for the personal trainers. So they follow the, 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 the program. Um, and the one being trained has, of course, access to the app, and, and the and the app gives you notifications each day, tells you when to up, 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 update your body matrixes, your weight, and your your uh, waist size. Your uh, city will actually integrate with with an Apple Watch and an Android Watch, and take your resting heartbeat, calculate uh, an estimate of your basal metabolic rate, and all of this stuff. So. It, it's it's really a, a fan, fantastic app, and there's no training. There's no trainers that at this point that have access to that, and there's no comprehensive program put together within an app like this. So I thought this would be great for trainers. Now I could have easily done it with not people that need this second chance, right? But I was balancing this, right? I I I, I did it to give people the opportunity to have a second chance. I didn't do it as a business per se of making money for myself. But I also wanted to say, I do not want a charity. I do, want, do not want someone to think I'm helping them. 
makes people feel bad. It doesn't make me feel good, right? I want people to work. So we're, the startup center is the franchisor and the franchisee who we're very tough on. The training program is tough. Um, we don't accept people coming late. We accept people speaking in a certain way. So we're, we're doing it in, in a tough way. And I think this population that we are doing with are great for business. Actually great for business. You take young people today. I, I, I had an interview with, with, with someone for my well, law firm. He was 20 minutes late for the, the uh, interview. Ooh. Everyone was coming late. This guy was 20 minutes late. I said, you know, you're 20 minutes late. I was waiting for you for 20 minutes. He goes, well, the traffic was real bad. Well, you're in New York. The traffic's always bad. I cannot even imagine coming late. I would have been there an hour early, right? This is the way I am. The whole mentality has changed. And when you speak up to that, like the people, like I spoke up, I, I said, you know, you're 20 minutes late. I said it just like that. They're insulted. They're actually insulted. So with people getting out of prison, it's a different story. That's the people that I gravitate to. These are a little bit tough. They're a little edgy, right? I, I, I told I told one guy he was late two times. One time it was about three minutes late. I just want to make a point out. So what the fuck you waiting? You're wasting my damn time. What are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? You can't tell, you gotta be worried to talk to people like that these days, right? Mm -hmm. They're gonna call it a hostile work environment, bullying and all this nonsense, right? But um, these are people that I found to be accountable and, and hungry and, and I think that's so important. You're, you're talking about the heart of an entrepreneur, someone who understands they screwed up and now that this is maybe their last chance to, to, to not end their life and say, my life was wasted, right? And that's leading to a lot of people saying, thank you, Sean. They, I said, no, there's no thank you. This is a franchise. You're going to work. I'm going to get part of your booking fees. This company's making, so I don't want anyone to say thank you for me. No, I have an obligation to you. You have an obligation to me. This is an A and B. This is an, an, an A and B contract. We have a contract here. This is not thank you. And, you know, if you make a lot of money, you, you want to invite me to your wedding in the future or your housewarming party, do it. But don't tell me, you don't say thank you. That's going to be based on your hard work and my hard work, not just one. So I hope this is, if I lose this race, I hope people will come out of this, people like me that have done well, and they will say, well, I can do what Sean did, right? I can do, I can do this. Sean's making money from this and he's helping people. This makes sense. Also, those are good workers. Those are good people. Those are good franchisees, right? Those, that's a missing opportunity. So I hope that's what we can come out of. Now, Think about this from a Republican side. I talk to Republicans about it. A lot of them say right off the bat, why would you give those people? Hey, that, that's bad people. Why would you give them an opportunity? Republican, be selfish. The best case is you're going to take tax dollars and give it to that person. Right? That's the best case. Why don't we get them off the public assistance? Right? And the Democrats... The uh, Democrats, which is which is puzzling, the Democrats are so locked into the uh, the uh, charities and they're, and they're they're so bought by the charities, uh, such a cushy relationships with the charities. Um, when I ran as a, I, I'm a Democrat, I'm actually a registered Democrat. When I ran as a Democrat, I used the word accountability in one of my uh, speeches. It was it was a panel of all the. And other, 10 other candidates. Um, and I use the word accountability. And a Democrat says, accountability, that's a Republican phrase. The Democrats do not even care about an accountable government. Print more money, it's okay, just take the money from everyone, sprinkle it around, and hopefully it will do something. So we, we got problems with the Republicans, we got problems with the Democrats. This issue, uh, is something I'm focused on because I'm good at starting businesses, right? But there's a lot of other issues that we need to look at in this way, right? Just look at it. Knock out your stupid principles. They're not doing any good. Think, be pragmatic. 
and try to think of ways to solve problems where you have an economic motive too, right? It's not just feeding people, giving, you know, what, what we say in the actual parks, we've got signs all, all over the place, right? Don't feed the bears. And why don't you feed the bears? The, the bears will get dependent. Um, now, I think when John F. Kennedy was president at FDR, who, who really started the modern social programs, they would never think that people would be entirely reliant for survival on the government. And there are people like that now. They would never have thought that. These were safety nets. Now it's been transitioned into, you, you have a Democratic Party right now that knows they have captured voters. And when you have a captured voter that's captured into a system that they control, they're fearful that they will lose the benefits that they have right now if they vote an alternative. And that's completely understandable. I mean, anyone should be thinking that way, of course, right? It is a risk. Change is a, a risk. Um, and the Democrats have bred, have, have fed on this. And I think there's a huge part of the Democratic Party right now that knows they have captured voters and, and they know that they do not need to deliver to them because they're captured. They're afraid of change. So I think there needs to be, and the Republicans always talk about cutting social programs, blah, blah, blah. That's the actual risk, right? Um, I think there's an in-between. I think there's an in-between answer. And I think also the public sector needs to uh, step up and actually come up with pragmatic solutions based on profit motive. As hopefully the future attorney general for New York, um, as a libertarian, many libertarians feel nonviolent drug offenders, even if it's crack cocaine or heroin, should not go to prison. If they're not violent, you should not go to prison. Are your thoughts consistent with that? I don't know that it's an official libertarian principle, but many libertarians do feel that way. What are your thoughts on non-violent drug offenders? I don't want to talk just about marijuana even, but just non-violent drug offenders. So I have a, um, a mixed feeling about the libertarian viewpoint and why I have this mixed feeling is because of someone called Pastor Jack. Pastor Jack's my pastor. He's, his name is Pastor Jack Royster. He's a, he's a pastor in Harlem. Um, he's an ex-boxer like I was. So we have an affinity for, for, for boxing. And we became very, very close friends. I, I see him almost every day. Um, he's also my weightlifting partner. So uh, he's overweight. So I'm bringing him to the, uh, the gym and I, I don't know, he lost maybe 50, 60 pounds so far in the last three months. So let's give a big clap for Pastor Jack. I hope he actually listens to this. Wow. So my, my feeling is, is, is actually the same as what you said. Why are we putting people in prison for um, nonviolent crimes, right? I, I have that sentiment. But he said, listen, prison was good for me. He went to prison. He was a drug user, drug addict. He sold drugs and he was also a pimp, which is one of my best friends. He's a pastor now. Um, and he said, prison was good for me. So how do we balance it? I, I have that sentiment. But when you think pragmatically, in some cases, we need to get people into some type of program to get them from the lifestyle that they, that they are engaged in, right? And in some cases, prison is a good way to do that. Are they better ways? Are they alternate programs to incarceration for first? Yeah, I'm all for that. I'm all for it. H however, what we need to really do in this case is really dig into the problem, understand it, talk to people like Pastor Jack, talk to other people. I'm also involved with a group that's, um, it's called the Social Justice just, Justice Network, which, you know, obviously the, the, the wording right away, it's, it's, it's very liberal. In actuality, there, some of them are very, very liberal. There are some of them are pragmatic. And most of the people in it serve time in prison. They, they, they understand that they should have been in prison, but they're just trying to promote the, the fact that they can be uh, pr productive members of, of of society. Um, Kelly, my worry is if 
we open that flood that, that gate to not putting people in jail or prison or some type of program for nonviolent felonies. We're not going to have the opportunity to retrain someone to do something else. That's my biggest fear. Um, also, certain drugs are really so bad. Um, I generally have the, 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 the feeling, the principle that if I want to kill myself with a drug, you can't tell me not to kill myself with a drug, right? However, selling someone a drug that will kill them is a different story than being just a user, not just, but being a user of that drug. So methamphetamines, never going to do you any good. Crack cocaine is never going to do you any good. Heroin, or as they, they say in Harlem, uh, heroin, uh, is not going to do you any good. I can understand if you are a user of those drugs, but if you are selling and you understand that they're not going to do anyone any good, um, I think pragmatism is the first way to, to, to think about this. And we at least have to have uh, alternate to incarceration programs that still have confinement. Okay, good answer. I'm sorry for I'm sorry for a a long answer to a to a very difficult question though to a short question, but it's it's very difficult. And I'll tell you, Kelly, I changed my mind with in regard to this. The rhetoric um, and the 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 general logic that you would you would think when you study this issue, it, it you know it's it. Who's the uh, victim? But there, there is a victim. Actually, there is a victim, and I changed my mind through through talking to Pastor Jack and other people like Pastor Jack, who who actually use prison as an opportunity to uh, become a good, productive member of 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 society. Running for a position such as Attorney General for the state of New York, I expected or almost assumed. I mean, I don't think. A libertarian who just comes in and says, hey, I want to be attorney general. Crack cocaine should be legal. You know, I, I don't know even if that if that was your platform. You know, I don't know how electable that type of a platform at all uh, would you know, be. I, I think some problem, you know, the libertarian party is all over the place on stuff. It's an umbrella party, right? So... To say you're a libertarian doesn't mean that you're for open borders, right? There's a lot of libertarians that are for open borders and a lot are very open. You know, it, that's rhetoric. They don't dig deep into the actual issue and, and really think pragmatically about what open borders really means, right? So um, I think a lot of that is, is people becoming um, too principled be, behind the basics of of ideology of, of, um, libertarianism and, and, and not thinking of, of, uh, pragmatism with, within libertarianism. So I count myself as a pragmatic libertarian, right? Um, and why that would, some people would say, well, isn't that a Republican? No, the Republican party has changed too. It's not for small government anymore. That's just lip service. They just want to support their 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 own interests in government. Watch what happens instantly. Military spending goes up, right? Oh that's yeah, their interest. That's their interest group. And in some cases, military spending maybe it doesn't need to go up. You know, you know, like Jimmy Jimmy Carter's time to Ronald Reagan's time. There, there was a need. You know, we, we didn't have a modernized military and stuff. But you know, we know a lot of it is waste. And then there's a bunch of other Republican causes out there that that they that they feed. You know, and the Democrats have have their own Republicans have their own. So that's why I like to to say I'm a pragmatic libertarian, because what's the other option? Makes sense. Well, Sean, I really appreciate your time. I really do. Before we wrap things up, if anyone listening, regardless of where they are across the country or even out of the country, if they're interested in what you have to say or in supporting you, what type of plugs can you give us? How can they follow you, support you? Obviously, people in the state of New York can vote for you, 
but how can anyone listening follow you on social media or support you, Sean? Best thing to do is go to www.sean, S-E-A-N, Christopher, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R, Hayes. So Sean Christopher Hayes, and Hayes is H-A-Y-E-S, and Sean is the Irish way. So it's the Irish way on both sides, S-E-A-N, and at the end, it's Hayes, H-A-Y-E-S. So SeanChristopherHayes.com, and I'm on all the social media platforms, and you can actually find them right on that site. We're also producing a newspaper. So I produced one for my last campaign. Uh, If anyone wants to write articles in this paper, they're welcome to write articles in the paper. It is open for all viewpoints, even viewpoints that we don't believe in. Um, And you can send that, those articles you have or any questions that you have to us to info, I-N-F-O, of course, at SeanChristopherHayes.com. Info at SeanChristopherHayes.com. Kelly, thank you so much for having me on. And this was really fun. Uh, And it was fun speaking to you before we were taping too. So maybe if I ever come on again, we just tape right from second number one because I think we have great, great dialogue be- be between you and me. I agree. A lot of times I end up saying that, but it's all always a gray area where it's the first time I've ever chatted with you. I don't want to just press record and make it seem like no, I'm being, right. it would have been okay with you, but does that make sense? I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying to, I like to ask people, is there anything you want to talk about in particular or anything you don't want to talk about that type of thing? And I don't want to catch someone off guard, but I agree. We did have some great conversation even before I hit the record button. Yeah. And I, I just meant, you know, I think you're, you're actually doing a fantastic job. You should definitely talk to the people be, be, before, of course. But our next time, let's do it from zero seconds. Will do. I will keep that in mind, Sean. Anytime, anytime you want me on, Kelly, to talk about anything, I'm happy to come on. you got a fantastic show there. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day, Sean Hayes. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to The Kelly Patrick Show. Of course, we will have another episode out soon. 